This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Bookmark. I'm Uma Paganampake Pagan, and joining me on the show today is author Carol Jones. Her first novel is called A Concubine's Child and is now available in bookstores. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Thanks, Uma. Um, so tell me about The Concubine's Child. I finished reading it. For people who haven't yet picked up the book, what can they expect? What's it about? It's about a young woman who is basically sold as a concubine by a father to a wealthy but ageing tin miner in 1930s Malaysia. And it's also about her descendants and her great-grandson who comes back from living in the UK, back to Malaysia in a contemporary story, and looks into his past, tries to reconnect with his past. And it's quite a sad story, I suppose, but it has uplifting moments. So there is a lot happening in this book. So it takes place over multiple time periods. Mm. There are ghostly elements. Um, yes. And of course, there is also the added story of not just being about Chinese concubines, but Chinese concubines in Malaya. Yes, it's in Malaya. I think I... I I chose to set it here because I have a connection to Malaysia because I have family here and I've been coming here every year for a very long time. But also because I was I wanted to to please an international readership and I thought that it would be nice for people all around the world to read a story set in Malaya because it's such a it's such a beautiful country. It's very um unique in its environment and its setting and its diversity of cultures. So, Carol, you've struck a very fine balance with this book. Now, I'll admit, every time I see a book like this on shelves, I roll my eyes. Yes. And <laughs> I can see why. And but, but, but that being said, that being said, I found that in your writing of the book, you've done well to not exoticize anything. You've done well to keep those elements very matter-of-fact and almost functional as to the story, which I think a lot of writers writing these kinds of novels for a global audience often make that mistake. I think I know what you mean. They concentrate on the exotic rather than the prosaic elements of the story, which is the way people live their lives. And that's certainly something I was conscious of. And while, yes, it's nice to have some of the exoticism in there because it will appeal to international readers, they want to enter other worlds. As writers, we're always creating other worlds. That's what writing fiction is about. At the same time, I wanted my characters and my environment... Uh, my, my my world that I create in the story to be real, to be as real as I could make it, um, as if, you know, you stepped onto the streets of Kuala Lumpur in the 1930s and you were walking down the five-foot way in Chinatown um, and meeting the people that would be there, but in a way that it's normal for that to happen. As a Malaysian reader, there is something in this book for me. And that's why I didn't roll my eyes anymore when I started oh, reading the book. Good. I'm glad you gave it a chance. <laughs> no, then, I Uma. did. I did. I did. Because a lot of these books, like you said, are often written for, um, I hate to use the phrase, but the Western reader, right? Or the yeah. global reader. And I think publishers tend to push that line 
as well. And we find a lot of Malaysian writers yeah. writing those kinds of books for the global audience. Yeah. And there's very little in it for me. But in this book, it felt familiar. It felt like home. And so there was something in it for me. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think there were times when perhaps um, the copy editor might push me a little bit to explain things a bit too much for my liking. And perhaps I did get some suggestions that perhaps I should start the story with the contemporary um, story, which starts in London, and then so that it would lead the Western reader into the story. But I, I rejected that idea because it's Yulan's story and that's where I wanted it to start. Um, and maybe it finished with the modern story, but there's a reason for that. And I won't tell you why, but you'll have to read the story. No, no, no we won't spoil out. the book. We won't, we spoil, won't the book. spoil the book no, for you. No, because there's a lot that happens in this yeah. book, right? Um, okay, okay, so tell me this. How did you come upon the story and what inspired you to pursue um, this tale? I mean, you married into Malaysia. Let's say yep. that you did that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mar- my husband was originally from Malaysia. I have a lot of family here. We come here every year. And so, you know, I hear stories and I've heard stories of distant family members who perhaps had two wives um, and it was just treated as normal as just something that happened. And interestingly enough, since I've been here this week visiting, um, uh, quite a number of people have mentioned to me that in their family history there are two two wives or even three wives. It's a lot more common than people think. It's quite common. And it was quite acceptable. And I don't think anyone needs to feel any... Um, sense of embarrassment that that might be in their family history because at one time it was quite a common arrangement. Thankfully, not quite so common anymore, although it does still happen in some places. And where did you have to dig for information? Was it through family members or did you have other points of research? No, I did a lot of research. I read a lot of memoirs from the time, from the early 20th century, both all through the Straits settlements from Singapore through to Penang and even Sumatra. Um, I also did a lot of academic research, which um, was based in Hong Kong, Singapore and Malaysia and China about concubinage and uh, bondmaids and um, the sohe, the, the self-combed women, the, the amas, uh, which is another interesting story. And there is a character in the book who is an ama and, and she is a self-combed woman, which meant that she took a, a vow to remain celibate. So I did a lot of reading of memoir. I did a lot of reading of academic research. I talked to people. Um, I strolled the streets of Chinatown here in KL again just to refresh my memory. I looked at lots of pic, um, picture books for, you know, with photographs and everything in them. There's something that you do in the book which is quite fascinating, especially as someone from the outside writing about another culture mm. in that you tend not to over-explain things. And I'm sure this must have been a constant argument between you and your editors. For someone who is Malaysian reading the book, you make points, you make references. Mm. I don't need you to paint a picture because I get it almost immediately. I know so many of these people. But what about the non-Malaysian reader? How have they reacted to these characters and these settings? Well, most readers that I've um, had any contact with through reviews or 
people that have spoken to me have really enjoyed it. Um, there have been one or two who've said it's perhaps um, the characters aren't rich enough or something. And I think that's because they want everything explained. And I don't always explain it. As far as my editors go, um, the copy editor made quite a few suggestions for things that she thought needed to be explained a little bit more. And some of them I did as little as I could. <laughs> and, and a few that I said, no, I think I'd just rather leave it the way it is because I was conscious that I wanted that readers in Malaysia and Singapore and Southeast Asia to enjoy it just as much as a global readership. And really, you know, the reader brings to the book their own ideas and the reader has an imagination. They don't need everything spelled out for them. I trust my reader and I think that every book is a, is a joint journey between the reader and the writer. Two minds at work there. And I find those books which tend to provide far too much exposition i find them boring i just i find them tedious yeah and um unless it's something like science fiction because then that's yeah. all right it's a completely alien world you it's need okay. that world built for you yes exactly you but do. malaysia is a place that exists a google search will tell you everything you need to know yeah. i mean as a reader i've always felt that you need to put in you need to put in the work as well the writers put in the work mm. but you are not absolved from putting in any work exactly it's a partnership any any novel is a partnership. The other thing, Uma, is that I, I've been a children's book writer for a long that's time, right. and that's part of that's part of how I write. And children do not want to be bored. They will just put the book away. They will not keep reading if they're bored. And also, you have to for for young children, you have to be fairly economical in how you describe things. I was going to say because I think that also could explain the paciness of this book. Books yeah, like this, this tend not to be very like it could be readily translated into television or film because it moves at a very brisk pace. Yes. Well, I write very visually. Um, I, see, I see the story and I see it as a series of scenes. I use a lot of photographs in my research. So often I picture a scene as if it's a photograph or if it's a, a, a moving image. So yes, hopefully that's what I was aiming for. Tell me, Carol, have you received any criticism about writing from the outside looking in? I've only had one harsh criticism and that was from, uh, that was a book blogger and that was from an American woman who didn't have an Asian surname. So I can't tell you anything more. And she was quite offended by the fact that I had written a book about a culture that wasn't my own. And that you were white and Australian. That I was white and Australian I was, and I chose to write. I think she was most upset about the fact that I chose to write about concubines. And she was sort of saying, well, why didn't you write a book about oppressed women in Western society. <laughs> but I didn't see my story as being about oppressed women. I saw my story as being about a number of different women who who had different ways of seeing the world and I wanted to explore how they manoeuvred their way through the world. It's not just Yulan, the young girl who's made to be a concubine. There are other women in the story and they deal with their lives in different ways. So look, you know, I opened myself to that criticism, I think, writing this book. You did, but at the same time, I think in your approach, it was one that was done with tremendous respect and accuracy and research and that comes across. And in that sense, 
I think you cannot be accused of taking advantage of any situation. I hope not. I mean, I really tried to be as truthful and respectful as I could because, you know, I, I like the characters, even the antagonist who is not a very nice person. I like her. I try to understand where she was coming from. The Pawang in the story. Yeah. You know, I tried to understand where he was coming from and how he and how he as a shaman might see the the real worlds of poisons and medicines on the same plane as he saw um, the spirit world. All are, all are things that have to be solved with his craft and his skill. But talk to me about your process in approaching this particular subject matter because that is something that must have been playing on your mind all the time, that you were an outsider writing about something unfamiliar, something new, even though you had married into the culture. Surely that must have affected your process. Well, I think I had to be even more careful than perhaps a Malaysian writer would because... um, because I am an outsider looking looking in, and, and so there are things that I might get wrong more easily. So I had to check everything numerous times, and I had to be so careful with my research. And it's so easy to make a mistake. For example, at one point I described in, my, in a draft Madame Chan walking across the upstairs hall of her house, clip-clopping, tapping along in her high heels – well, we all know that that would not happen. <laughs> it wouldn't happen, yeah. And then when I went back and was doing redrafting that chapter, I thought, oh, my God, how could I make such a silly mistake? Because, <laughs> you know, that's the one thing someone will pick up on. Of course they would, but it's, so, it's such an obvious mistake because yes. who in Asia or Malaysia would wear shoes inside? We all know that. Yeah. They just don't do it. It's a, you know, we live in an interesting time where um, so much – fiction, so much writing is under so much scrutiny, especially yeah. with issues of diversity and cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. But I've I've always been a firm believer that fiction as an art should mm-hmm. allow not just the reader to explore new worlds, but the writer as well. And I think yeah. therein lies the possibility of fiction, because as a creator of fiction, you should have the ability to explore these worlds outside of your own. I've I've always hated the notion of writing what you know. I have too, and that's exactly how I feel. You know, people talk to writers as if they're only writing for the reader. They forget that a writer is writing for themselves as well, and I don't think fiction writers would write if they were only writing for a reader, or their work wouldn't be as as meaningful and as if they're writing for themselves, because we do. We want to explore new worlds. We have to create worlds, and whether that world is some kind of... Um, outer space space opera or whether that's a really interior psychological drama or whether it's set in another country, a real country, that's what we do. We explore new worlds. I think that's something that has often gotten lost in this conversation. We we forget about the process of reading and the process Mm. of writing. We just take the work as a complete product Mm. in itself and I don't know if that's always necessarily the best way to look at a piece of art. No, I think a piece of art is an engagement process between the writer and the reader and between the writer and um, their research and people that they've talked to and their lives. And it it can't 
it, you can't build walls around art. No. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you about the ghostly elements in the book. <laughs> um, if only because I think it's impossible to write these kinds of stories without having that supernatural element. All of us, at least here, grew up with some sort of ghost story that we were told about that played a part in our history or ancestry in some way. And so talk to me about, I guess, approaching the ghostly elements and the research involved in bringing that together. Well, having been here many times and travelled a lot in Asia, I know ghosts and the spirit world are very important, whether people actually believe totally in ghosts or whether they're having an each-way bet. I'm right, not sure. Right. But I did a lot of research. I read a lot of Chinese ghost stories um, right from the 13th century through to modern times, plays. I even watched the play uh, Snow in Mids- uh, the Cantonese opera Snow in Midsummer on YouTube. And I watched some ghost films and, uh, you know, it was just all part of the fun of it, really. But, of course, your book isn't a ghost story. No, it's not a ghost story. No, it has... No, I won't give it away. The, the ghostly elements are weaved in really well, and, and they play a part in the tale, but, the, but it's not a ghost story. It's not a ghost story, no. no. But you could read it that way if you chose to. So tell me this. Um, you have built your career writing children's books. Yes. Um, this is, I guess, your foray into long-form fiction. Yes. Have you caught the bug? I mean, now, is this something you want to pursue? What's next? Oh, absolutely. I've caught the bug. <laughs> and and the way publishing works these days is that the publisher always wants you to have the next book. Oh, yeah. It's ready. Like, oh, thanks for the draft. What are you working on yeah, now? Yeah, what are you working? Exactly. And I just handed in, exactly, I just handed in a draft to my agent and she said, better get cracking on the next one. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> there's, there's no break. Uh, so, yeah, I have caught the bug, of course. And the next the next novel will be set in the 1850s, so I'm going further back in time, and it's set in China and Australia. In China, it was a time of great disruption, and in Australia, it was a whole new world. So we've got the contrast between the old world and the new world, and it's a love story, and it has a murder, and it even has some kung fu. Oh, fantastic. Well, I look forward to that as well. Um, Carol, thank you so much. Uh, Well done on the book. I really enjoyed reading it. I think, you know, if you could convert me with one of these books, you've done well. Thank you. I am the most cynical person when it comes to these things. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much. That was Carol Jones. She is the author of The Concubine's Child. You can find it at all good bookstores. Get in touch and let me know what you thought of the book once you've read it. You can tweet me. I'm on at Umar Pagan or at BFM Radio. You've been listening to Bookmark on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.